You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Very good morning, Pasco Vale, and a very warm welcome. And uh, for those who are joining us for the first time as well, I strongly welcome you and uh, hope to get to know you later. Uh, we are obviously saddened uh, by the passing of a, a long-time member of our church, Alan Thompson, and to his family, we send our deepest condolences. Alan was always friendly, and when we first started uh, ministry and serving in this church, he was always there to greet us, to give us a warm handshake, and welcome us to the, to the church. So we are very, he will be very deeply missed. Now today... We begin a brand new seven-week series titled The Visions of Glory, based on the book of Ezekiel. Now, the book of Ezekiel was written during Ezekiel's captivity in Babylon, where he prophesied from about uh, 592 BC, uh, sorry, 592 to 570 BC. This book runs about over 48 chapters, and it can be divided into two main parts. The first part comprises the message of judgment against Israel, and the second part comprises the message of hope for Israel. Now, between chapter 24 and 25 is where we find the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem. Cross Culture has kindly helped us uh, set up a reading plan so as to help us prepare for the messages each week, so you can see the sermon titles below there, and I encourage all of us to try and read the passage before we come because there's a lot of things in there to unpack, and who knows what the Spirit will instill and speak to you as you read the words of the Scripture. Now, before we go any further, let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts to receive what God has for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to study your Word, to listen to it, to reflect upon it, and to be challenged by it. Lord, we are not here by chance. We are not here by mistake. We are here because you have something to say to each one of us in this room. So we pray, dear Lord, that as we listen to the words, as we look into that scripture, that you teach us, guide us, and lead us in the way that you want us to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, a recent Australian Bureau survey or census of the Australian religion showed a very bleak picture of Christianity. Whilst we were once a predominantly Christian country, we are gradually becoming more circular or non-religious. The survey, whilst telling, may not truly reflect the existing situation in our country and around the world. I was just sharing with Neil and Alison the week before about the time that Catherine and I were on our honeymoon in Europe and we visited many fine architecturally built churches with years and years of history and culture in them. But sadly, sadly, we found very few people worshipping there. Instead, on a, on, a Sunday uh, on a Sunday morning, these places were filled not with worshippers but with tourists. Instead, to bring us to a greater awareness, the local church scene is not doing much better either. With a number of churches closing its doors, in part due to COVID, and some churches' properties being even being sold to the market for redevelopment 
So it's no longer going to be a church. Paul says it's sad to hear this news. Some of us might be wondering to ourselves, where? Where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? Why did God not continue to grow His church, but let it instead go into decline? The picture seems so bleak. And the future of the church so uncertain. But is this new? The answer is no. Have we been there before? The answer is yes. Is God still at work? Most absolutely. Is God still interested in our situation, our plight? Absolutely. You see, the Bible records plenty of instances where the spirituality of the people have dwindled and some nearly disappearing. But does that mean that God's glory is gone? No, far be it. He remains sovereign and His glory never fades. It is our awe of that glory that has faded. And His grace we have taken for granted that has caused us to drift further and further away from Him. But God disciplines those He loves, but He also restores the faithful. The book of Ezekiel tells us one such story. The book was written in a very dark time in Israel's history where a nation has been defeated, captured, and enslaved. Many were even exiled, and and Ezekiel was amongst these people. Seeing the destruction and devastation of your homeland is extremely painful. You can only imagine how the Ukrainians feel right now, at this moment, as Russia is occupying their land and exiling them to other places in Russia and surrounding countries or other wars that are happening around the various parts of the world. Despite our hopelessness, we do have one thing to hope for and look forward to, and that is that we worship a glorious God. Now the book of Ezekiel begins by introducing us to where it all began. In the 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, as I was among the exiles by the Chiba Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw a vision of God. Now for those who are not, do not know where this place is, the Chiba Canal is located in what is known today to us as Syria. Now the significance of this introduction is often missed because we do not pay attention to locations mentioned in the Bible. But it is here. Here, that Ezekiel saw the heavens opened and the visions of God revealed. For the Jews, they've always associated God with the temple. This is because the temples where they worshipped received prophecy and teaching, offering their sacrifices and prayer. To them, that was where the glory of God resided. So you can understand the stress and the pain that they feel when the, church got, when the temple got destroyed. But the revelations by the Chiba Canal demonstrated that God's glory is not limited by distance or the walls of the temple. Instead, it resides 
in the hearts of his people. Unfortunately, the revelation to Ezekiel was not a positive one. We read in verse 4, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind come out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and a fire flashing forth continually in the midst of the fire as it was gleaming metal. This was an ominous prophecy, an ominous one. The north was often associated with God's judgment through Israel's powerful enemies and to signify Israel's captivity. It was a significant that this vision came from the direction of captivity and conquest imposed upon Israel. It was a way of saying that the calamities were from God. The stormy wind that Ezekiel saw was associated with the great images of God's presence. The cloud by day and fire by night was an expression of God's presence with Israel through the wilderness. A raging fire engulfing itself is a reminder of the burning bush that Moses saw, which burned but did not consume itself. Ezekiel then goes on to give a bizarre description of the four living creatures in verses 10 onwards. As, to the, as for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and, our, and the four had the face of an eagle. We are told that the creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, the appearance was like gleaming burrow. And the four had the same likeness, the appearance and construction being as if it were a wheel within a wheel. Now friends, if what you've just read is hard to understand or comprehend, I can assure you I struggled significantly as well when preparing for today's message. So I pray, please do not ask me to explain each element of those likeness and about the wheels and what all that meant because I'm just as clueless as many of these scholars are. The bottom line is that the vision was to assure Ezekiel that Yahweh was in fact the sovereign God of all creation, no matter how great Babylon and her gods seemed in their devastation. The multiplicity of temples, the incredible prosperity of the city, the blasting of industry and culture, all this would have made any Hebrew captive feel how small his home country was and how great were all the all-conquering gods of Nebuchadnezzar. Whilst there might be some scholarly explanation for the four creatures and the wheels, the important things to remember is that it was the perspective from Ezekiel's eyes, just attempting to use human words to understand and to describe God's glory does not do it enough justice. The truth of the matter is how we perceive God's glory is dependent on the lens that we put on and what we look through. But regardless of how we look at things, God's glory does remain what it is. It's not something we can describe purely using our own words. We can only speak of what we can associate it with. Like the likeness of the throne, 
the likeness of human appearances. These words are not used to definitively describe what Ezekiel saw, but what God's glory looked like to him. It was that amazing. It was that so unbelievable. We can attempt to use all sorts of words to try and describe God's glory, but when we are confronted by it, we can't help but fall on our face in all of it. Sorry. If that, if this, if that was so, why then aren't many more people falling on our faces in awe of God's glory? Why? Well, it's certainly a question we need to ask ourselves as well. Are we in awe of God? Do we revere God's glory? Or have we become indifferent? Truth be told, we are rebellious people. And God knows it. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, it writes, and he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Despite God's glory being shown everywhere in creation, and everything that we see, we continue to be rebellious against God from the time of the Hebrews even up to today. Friends, I believe that we all have an awe issue even right now. We set our reverence on things that are mediocre. We focus our attention on careers, our families, our studies, our relationships, but not on what matters most. And that is God. For example, I believe most of, most of us work, and I like to believe we all work really hard. We, we are always in on time, if not early. We try to do our best for our employer. We dress appropriately for work. If we are running late, we get stressed out and worried that we're going to get in trouble. We serve our employer with all our hearts, and when, when they need something, we put our hands with initiative to do something for the boss. We serve our employer well because we know if we don't, there will be consequences. But despite all of that, despite all of that, our attitude, towards God, our spiritual master, does not seem aligned. We don't see the urgency of doing God's work day in and day out. We are sometimes late for church. It does not matter. It does not bother us. We do not get stressed when we are not doing what we've been commanded as Christ's disciples to do. When the church needs help, sometimes we don't put up our hands. I wonder... Is that us? Friends, this is not a guilt trip. And I can assure you, I'm just as guilty as with some of these things that I've just mentioned. But if we truly 
revere God and we're truly in awe of His glory, we ought to examine ourselves to see what lens we are putting on to look at His glory. We are indeed rebellious when it comes to God. But why? But why? Perhaps we have an old issue. We take God's grace and mercy for granted and we think to ourselves that because we are covered by grace that we will not stand before God to give an account of our sins and our transgressions. Perhaps we think to ourselves that just because Jesus has paid the price for our sins, our actions has no consequences. So Ezekiel warns us, what if we too have presumed to be God's friend when in reality we have turned our backs on Him a long time ago? Friends, have we become complicit with the ways of the world that we lost sight of God's glory? In verse 10, Ezekiel prophesies, prophecies are described as words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. This vision isn't a nice one. The words aren't comforting to soothe your soul. No, these are hard words that will hopefully shake us from our spiritual indifference. So as we explore the book of Ezekiel together, get ready to be confronted by Ezekiel. We will constantly expose the reality of our heart. And Ezekiel's words will not let us escape those uncomfortable questions because the consequences are way too serious. Friends, I know the picture I painted for us thus far seems very bleak. But don't be depressed. There is a glimmer of hope. A hope that can break us out of our spiritual indifference and recenter us back on God's glory. And it will come from an unlikely source. It will come through a rejected prophet who will restore us a vision of God and His glory and give it back, give that back to His people. So let, us, let me tell you a bit about Ezekiel. We read from Scripture that after five years of captivity, five years of captivity, he finally raises a prophet by the name of Ezekiel to be a beacon of hope to the captives and exiled Jews. Now Ezekiel began his ministry on the 30th year. There was likely to be his age, as priests normally begin their temple service at that age. But poor Ezekiel was more than 3,000 kilometers away from the temple. Or if, even if the camp, that depends on whether the temple was still standing as well, as he was exiled to a foreign land. For over five years in captivity, God finally summoned him to work among his people, not as a priest, but rather as a prophet. During this time, there were many false prophets in Jerusalem and Babylonia who claimed God would rescue Judah and those already taken captive, like Ezekiel, and then God would soon return. But Ezekiel's message, however, was a rebuke 
of because of the sinful wish to escape the deserved judgments by the Babylonians and to give God's people real hope instead of the empty hope that the false prophets provided. God chose him to be a watchman for the house of Israel and to speak his words whenever he heard a word from God's mouth. He was to give them a warning from God. Now a watchman bears a very heavy responsibility to keep watch and to protect the city by calling out when an enemy is attacking or at the gates. As we look through the book, through his time as a prophet, Ezekiel is going to do some really bizarre things. For example, he's going to lie on his side for over a year and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. He was going to do something gross, like bake bread in plain sight over human dung. All these things will be acted parables, a symbol to his people of just how far they have slipped from God and how offensive his rebel- their rebellion is. Now often we develop a picture in our mind that when a prophet is sent by God, that people will simply sit up in earnest, ready to listen and to obey. But in reality, it's much like our nation today, isn't it? People are just not interested in what the prophet had to say. Unfortunately, we all find that the prophet Ezekiel was going to be ignored and rejected. God tells Ezekiel not to be afraid, for God knows that his people will, be, will likely reject him. The sad thing is, in chapter 3, we read that if Ezekiel were to be sent to the foreign nations, at least they would have listened. They would have turned and be saved. But the tragedy was that Ezekiel was sent to his own people. And verse 7 tells us that they will refuse to listen. Isn't it true today that the gospel is progressing powerfully in the developing worlds? Millions and millions are coming to Christ. But isn't it so ironic, ironic, that here in Australia, we are amongst the most well-resourced countries in the world with all the books you can find about our faith and the meaning of Christian lives. We can buy Bibles from a shop and we are able to worship God freely in nice, beautiful churches, in the, in the parks and whatever. And there are articles and podcasts to discuss any topic you could possibly think of about the faith. Yet, yet, it is here that the gospel is falling on deaf ears and being rejected by the nation. I wonder if we too have all become too familiar with God, thinking that He's our friend, that's it, that we have lost that awe we once had for His glory when we received Him as our Lord and Savior then. But still, there is hope. And hope will come through this prophet who is going to be different. In chapter 2, verse 8, it tells us that he won't be like the rebellious house. He will be faithful to God. He will eat God's word literally and live them. And the Spirit 
and God's Spirit will be with him. You might be wondering to yourself, how is a rejected prophet hope? To us, hope is to see a revival in the people. We, see the, we want to see the last repentances, to see the next ABS statistics say back to 90% Christians again. But hope is not measured by the number of people turning back to God. What's more important is that we recapture, that we recapture a vision of the glory of God that begins with us in the hearts of His people. The book of Ezekiel is not a book of revival, but a call to reformation. So the next seven weeks is, is for us to reconsider the reality of our faith and to recenter ourselves on what matters most. As Ezekiel receives the vision and call in verse 14, he sits up, overwhelmed for seven days in bitterness in the heat of his spirit. He is angry. He is furious at the state of rebellion of his people. He was probably overwhelmed also by the weight of his mission. He was probably coming to terms to what, is, what this mission was going to cost him. But this is the path to hope. Through a rejected prophet called the Son of Man who will bring God's word to shake us out of our indifference. This points us to another son of man, the son of man who was to come. This person was coming not just to speak God's word, but he was, he is God's word. Someone who did not just experience the glory of God, but who, it, who, but who is the glory of God. John 1.14 says, As we encounter Jesus, who is the Word, and we have seen and encountered His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father. Jesus actually is the glorious God of Ezekiel. He is the Lord coming to us, and He is also the rejected prophet. His mission and ministry like Ezekiel will be misunderstood. Jesus himself says a prophet has no honor in his hometown. The reason Ezekiel acts as are so extreme is because in his body he bears the marks of Israel's rebellion on himself. Can you see how this book points us to the Lord Jesus who will willingly bear the marks of mankind's rebellion on himself upon that? In conclusion, A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How will you treat God's glory in your life? What changes will you make so that God's glory is revealed in you and through you. Friends, we hope that the sermon series will inspire us to take that opportunity to recenter and to refocus on what is the most important thing. And that, my friends, is our God.
and his glory. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we put our own idols before you. Forgive us for the times that we are so eager to serve our earthly masters, but forget to serve our supreme kingly master. Lord, forgive us, for we are a rebellious people. Help us, dear Lord, to recenter, refocus, and take control or take ownership of our wrongdoing. And help us, Lord Father, to focus our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength on you. We thank you, God, that despite our rebellion, your glory does not fade. Instead, it shines ever so much brighter when we see you at work. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who came to, the cro- who came to die on the cross for our sins. We are not worthy. We are not worthy. Our mere words and our mere thoughts cannot describe that glory and that mercy and that grace that you've extended to us. For we, our Father, have not truly comprehended it ourselves in our earthly limited minds. So help us, Lord. Bring us back to yourself. And help us, Lord, to refocus on your glory. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray. Amen.